everyone, this is Dr. Jarvik, and this podcast is going to focus on hepatitis. So there are numerous types of hepatitis, A, B, C, D, and even E, but for our purpose in the class, we're really going to focus on A, B, and C. And so <laughs> we're going to um, kind of break down each of these and, and go through them and do some similarities and differences. So if you, if you just break down the word hepatitis, um, you know, hap means liver and itis means inflammation. So hepatitis is inflammation of the liver. Now, patients can either have hepatitis uh, acutely or chronically. And um, hepatitis A is usually transmitted via the fecal oral route. So it can be seen if people are not washing their hands or preparing food properly and um, they're not washing their hands and they're they're, they're actually doing the preparation of food and and they're passing it on to others. Um, Can also occasionally be transmitted via um, anal sex, so anal oral. Um, Could pass on some, some fecal matter. And it can also be seen as far as poor sanitation or water sources. So usually it is person-to-person contact. Um, again, it's either that oral anal sex activity, um, contaminated water food, or you know somebody just not washing their hands. So you can see it with um, shellfish workers um, when they're getting shellfish out of contaminated water. Um, and then hepatitis A, the immune system is usually able to take care of it on its own. Um, But the patient will be ill and contagious, but we don't really give them any kind of medications um, to get rid of the infection. Now, they may take some medications for symptom relief, such as nausea or vomiting or the aches and pains associated with that, but nothing actually to help like get rid of that hepatitis virus. Now, luckily, there is a vaccine, and it's often given around the age of one, and this must be a somewhat newer vaccine, at least I know my my daughter was the only one who got it for me, and she was about 10 when she got it, so it wasn't being offered back when, when my kiddos were really little. Um, and then if you are high risk, maybe going to an area where there's going to be poor sanitation or things like that, you can also get that vaccine at any other time. So they're, they're, it's not just given in kiddos. Um, you could get those vaccines. Um, teaching for the patient. So one of the big things for hepatitis A is that we're going to teach proper hand hygiene and how to prepare food appropriately. And, um, you know, just making sure that that's not happening. And, and I did take care of a patient once years ago who had hepatitis A and, and she was a um, house cleaning person. And, and we think that maybe she wasn't wearing the gloves like she was supposed to when she was cleaning. Um, <clears throat> now with hepatitis B and C, this is usually transmitted through blood and body fluids. And so some of the ways this can be transmitted is sharing needles with IV drugs, or even think about those jailhouse tattoos, right? Somebody's using needles and they're sharing those needles in the jail. <clears throat> Unprotected sex um, through the birth canal during birth hemodialysis, and we'll talk more about hemodialysis in senior year, but most of you should be a little bit familiar that that's when the blood is taken out and filtered and then put back in when somebody's kidneys are not failing. 
or have failed. Um, also needle sticks, so healthcare workers who um, aren't using the, the proper techniques with needles and using needle assists systems. <clears throat> and then anybody who received blood before 1992. Before 1992, the blood was not um, screened for hepatitis and HIV, and so they could be at risk then too. And with hepatitis B, the body can <clears throat> sometimes get rid of the virus on its own. But if it can't, we can give some antivirals to help with um, the body getting rid of that process. So I don't really want you to focus on all the different types of medications for hepatitis B. I know that's nice to hear once for once. Um, but know that we could give that. So some of the signs and symptoms of hepatitis B, um, <clears throat> I'll just run through them and then we'll talk about them more a little bit uh, further. Anorexia, nausea, vomiting, fatigue right upper quadrant pain is to think about where your liver is. So it makes sense that that's where the discomfort would be. Dark urine, light stool, arthralgias, jaundice. <clears throat> and, um, you know, luckily for hepatitis B, there is a vaccine. Um, it does come in a series of dosage, um, three in the series. And so usually kiddos get um, all three doses by the time they're 18 months. <clears throat> All right, so hepatitis C is a little bit different. Hepatitis C can be passed on um, and it mutates a lot. There isn't a vaccine for it. And, and the thing with hepatitis C is that patients don't really know that they have hepatitis. So it can lie dormant in their body for 20 years and, and they don't know that they have it. That's one of the reasons why um, they recommend patients um, that were born... I can't remember the exact year, some something that before the 1960s or something like that, that they should get tested for hepatitis C because they might have it and not even know it. Um, hepatitis C, you're most likely to have complications um, like cirrhosis secondary to damage to the liver, and it usually does not go away on its own. <clears throat> so there are a lot of new um, anti- uh, virals that you can take for hepatitis C. One of the older ones is um, ribavirin, and it actually helped to prevent the virus from replicating in the body. So there are a lot of new ones. Um, not going to be your your big focus for this exam. Um, just think about the, the course of the disease and, and how that's going to happen. So they, again, may not have any symptoms when it first starts, but as it progresses, they can... Um, get those symptoms. And so in that acute phase, they may have that belly pain, so that right upper quadrant pain. The nausea and vomiting, um, they can even have diarrhea, fatigue. Um, and, and this is one of the biggest things. They're just extremely tired. So one of the things we really want to be promoting is rest. One of the most important things we can do for somebody with hepatitis is really try to get them to, to get plenty of rest. And as the disease progresses, you can even see jaundice. Um, and this is where the liver is not functioning well. And so bile is not being excreted properly, which is usually it's, it's excreted via the stool. So you'll see bilirubin levels increasing um, in, because of that bilirubin levels increase. And that's why you see some of the jaundice. And the buildup of the um, bile salts in um, the skin causes itching. So they may have lots of itching um, 
in conjunction with that jaundice and the bile salts. <clears throat> now the stool, um, I kind of mentioned earlier that it's going to be more pale. It's often what we call clay colored. And the lack of color is because they're, the bile's not in the stool. And so that's why it'll end up looking lighter. Now the bilirubin um, is produced in the liver, but it's excreted as bile. And then of course bile is stored in the liver. <clears throat> and it's used as needed in the GI system. Um, usually lots of times it's to break down fats. <clears throat> now bilirubin can build up and it can actually spill into the urinary system. And so we can see that dark urine and the urine may even test positive for elevated bilirubin. And um, the patient continues to have fatigue and this can last for several months. Um, they can be sick for a long time. So complications, they are at risk for um, liver uh, being damaged, and they can end up with chronic cirrhosis, uh, where they may even need a liver transplant. And actually, cirrhosis can even lead into liver cancer. So the liver does do more than just release bile and help break down fat. It's also important for clotting factors. So if we have an impaired liver, we can see somebody with um, some bleeding problems. And how would we know that this is happening with somebody with hepatitis? We would do some blood work. Um, one of the things that we would look for for the bleeding would be their prothrombin time. So, or their PT, INR, we've talked about that before. And the prothrombin time tells us how fast it takes for the blood to clot. And somebody with liver issues, that could be increased because it's taking the blood longer to clot. Now, how do we know how somebody actually has hepatitis? We can do blood work for testing for antigens or testing for antibodies. There's lots of different ones in your textbook. I do not expect you to know all those specific details. Just know that we can, we can test the, the uh, blood. <clears throat> also, uh, what may actually happen even before then is we can check those liver enzymes. And so the liver enzymes that we would be looking at are the ALT or the AST, and those are going to be elevated when there's inflammation. <clears throat> so I already talked about the bilirubin in the urine. Talked about the pro-time. Um, now, imaging tests, we could do a CT, an MRI. They could actually do a scope where they do a biopsy. Or they can do a, a percutaneous biopsy where they actually go through the skin. And so remember, the, the liver is a very vascular organ. <clears throat> so there's an increased chance of bleeding just because we've done a biopsy of the liver, but we really want to check that INR and PT prior to doing the, the biopsy uh, because they're going to have that increased risk for that being <clears throat> elevated. So anybody who has a liver biopsy percutaneously post-procedure, um, we're going to have them lay on the right side, usually with a small pillow or a towel under the side to help kind of give a little bit of pressure on that. And we'll obviously be watching their vital signs and watching for bleeding. So we'd be really watching for hypertension and the tachycardia, those types of things. <clears throat> so how do we help these patients? Um, we've already talked about the vaccinations that are available. And a lot of it's going to be symptom management. Um, you know, their abdominal pain, um, nausea, vomiting. There isn't a specific diet um, for hepatitis because it's not originating in the GI systems like what we talked about with the pancreatitis. We may encourage bland food or decreased fat because um, spicier foods or higher fat foods may cause some more nausea and vomiting, especially think about 
when we have higher fat foods, we're going to stimulate the bile, and that can be part of the reason why there's um, increased nausea. <clears throat> Again, key, key factor here is that they need lots of rest. They are really fatigued, and so we really want them to be able to rest, their liver to be able to rest, and just to decrease that metabolic demand for the body. So I'm not sure if any of you have ever had mononucleosis, but um, if you have, you can understand the fatigue that these patients are experiencing. It's just really a huge symptom. And so we really want them to, to plan rest periods and take care of themselves. Um, of course, we're going to need to avoid alcohol. Um, somebody with hepatitis, they should not smoke because that can increase some of those symptoms. And for those aches and pains that they have, we do not want them to take acetaminophen um, because it is metabolized in the liver. And I know we've talked about that four gram max in a 24 hour period. Well, if we have a damaged liver, that's going to be problematic. Um, now, we may not give NSAIDs if they're PT and INR are elevated. So we'll, we'll really have to be watching what's going on with this person to determine the appropriate medications. <clears throat> they may get promethazine or um, Dancitron for the nausea and vomiting. And we're going to encourage lots of fluids, just like we do when somebody is not feeling well. Small frequent meals, we know that large meals are never the option for somebody. Um, and then for the itching relief, we may give that diphenhydramine, which is uh, that, like Benadryl, um, and we can give that numerous different ways, either orally or IV. And then lotion sometimes just help with that itching on the, the skin with those bile salts. We're going to teach them ways uh, to prevent passing it on to others, such as that proper hand washing we've talked about, proper food preparation, safe sex, um, not sharing needles. And that's why needle exchange programs can be so beneficial. And if they are positive for hepatitis B or C, we don't want them to share personal items such as razors or toothbrushes because it could be transferred that way. So I think this is a, a good overview um, of some of the differences and similarities with hepatitis. And I hope this um, helps with your study.